Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, everybody. As well. Um, special thanks to the worship team this morning. It was really nice. Um, um, personal preference, you know, I'm not really into drums and stuff and that. So I was pre- especially enjoying this morning. But um, Carmen and I, we didn't talk this week, did we? At all. No, we didn't communicate. But it's like she read my sermon notes. That's no accident. And the amount of times that God does that through different parts of the service, it means that, you know, it's not, this isn't an accident. Sorry? But still, it was a bit... <laughs> I could tell you've been reading Haggai. I know that much. It was really good. Um, yeah, who's enjoying Haggai? It's good. I mean, if you're not, I am. So um, I was having a preaching meeting with Luke Austin this week and Nick Tui. And Luke Austin, was, he said, oh, I don't know where I'm going to go with this. He's struggling a little bit with the Old Testament, obscure Old Testament prophet. Um, and by the end of it, he said uh, it was really good, like, thanks, guys, really appreciated that chat, um, helped him form his sermon a little bit, because he's preaching, they're preaching in the same text at Mount Barker Verdun and Allgate this morning, and I said, don't worry, Luke, I'm going to need you for when we get to Romans, because we're going to be in Romans for a lot of this year, and give me Old Testament any day of the week over Paul's writings. Um, Paul is way too intelligent for me, so I'm going to be using them while they're they're bouncing off of me at the moment for an obscure Old Testament prophet. I really enjoy it. Um, so open up your Bibles to Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2, and we're up to verses 10 to 19. A little recap of where we're up to so far. Um, and I, I and I my feedback was I sometimes I was a little too much information in my first sermon maybe a little bit too much to handle, but a recap of where we are is um, the uh, people of Judah I was saying Israelites a lot they're not really called the Israelites anymore the people of Judah have been taken into captivity to Babylon um, because of their idolatry against God and then um, over time over, over the part, over seventy years. Babylon, who took them into captivity, has been overthrown by Persia, and Cyrus, the king of uh, the emperor of Persia, gives the people of God permission to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls. Um, and this is all listed in the book of Ezra. And you get to um, about Ezra chapter four, and because of some political unusual circumstances outside of their control, the building is halted. The building stops. And sixteen years later, this is where Haggai comes into the picture, and he says, guys, God's saying through Haggai, it's been 16 years, it's time to get back to building the temple, and that's what we looked at Haggai 1, two weeks ago, Um, stop prioritising your own house over God's house, stop putting so much effort into my house, into your house rather than mine, prioritise my kingdom again, and because of the circumstances that the circumstances of bad, bad famine, bad crops, lots of trials, lots of struggles for them, they probably were using that as an excuse not to build the temple. But God is saying, no, it's because you're not building the temple that these circumstances are on you. 
And they, they obey. The people of Judah obey the call of Haggai and they begin to rebuild the temple. And then chapter 2, uh, which John took us through last week, beginning of chapter 2, is actually super encouraging. God's saying, be strong. Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong to all the leaders. Be strong, be strong. Keep going. Don't give up. And this is probably on the back of some older helpful or unhelpful people, depending on how you look at it saying, you know, this doesn't compare to the glory of Solomon's temple. It's pretty lame. And they're probably feeling quite discouraged. Their circumstances still haven't picked up. And God is saying through Haggai to the people, be strong, keep going. Also, another thing that's always helpful as you read Haggai is probably on your same page of your Bibles is the book of Zechariah. He's a contemporary of Haggai. If you read Zechariah chapter 1, It says, in the eighth month in the second year of Darius. In the beginning of our passage, chapter 2, verse 10, the 24th day of the ninth month. So this is literally about four to six weeks before Haggai's message here in chapter 2, verse 10. Zechariah is also preaching a message of repentance and return to the people. And his message is pretty strong. Chapter 1, verse 3, therefore say to them, Thus says, declare, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And the book of Ezra says that the people obeyed the voice of the Lord through the prophets of Haggai and Zechariah. So people were obeying this call of repentance. So there's been some recent repentance. There's been a recent resurgence of renewal, a new prioritization of God's kingdom. It's been really good, and it's much like many things that we might see today. It's much like us. I was really encouraged after my sermon two weeks ago. It wasn't, wasn't necessarily from me. The book, the chapter one is really firm. It's really hard, and I was nervous to share it, especially being, being new here, but the Spirit of God was with hearts and minds to receive it well. Not of me, but people received it well. And there was, a, there was an obedient response to prioritise God's kingdom. And regardless of what's happening in hills or the people that we know, God's always in the business of revival and calling people to repentance. And many of us are like the post-exilic um, people of Judah here. They've accepted the challenge of conviction. They've accepted this challenge. They've accepted this conviction. They've responded to it. And it's awesome. But... But there's a little problem. And God brings up something through Haggai um, in chapter 2, verses 10 to 19. He's, he's got, a little, got a little thing he wants to raise with them. He has a message for those recent repenters, those recent people, the people who have recently come back to him. And it's relevant to us as well. And this is his message. He says, essentially, these are my words, He's saying that good deeds don't cancel out your need of God. Good deeds don't cancel out your need of God. Good deeds don't cancel out your bad deeds. No matter how mature we are in our faith, we all revert back to this mentality or this, this, this picture that good works or good deeds, they're solely the sign of repentance and renewal. They're solely, our works are solely the sign of us prioritising God's kingdom. And we can easily forget or overlook the fact that God 
cares more about the heart than he does about sacrifice. God cares more about the inward heart than he does about outward sacrifice. There's a really sad story in 1 Samuel 15 where Saul um, defies the orders of the Lord, defies God's orders, and he tries to justify it. And Samuel says to Saul, God cares more about obedience than sacrifice. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And if we think that deep down that, a, you know, if we are on a scale and our good works are greater than our bad works, if we think deep down that's going to balance everything out and everything will be okay, it will cancel out our need for God, cancel out our need for dependence on him, we can quickly overlook the biblical truth that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All sin, any little sin, any great sin, any sin separates us from perfect relationship with him. And God cares more about the heart than he does about the work of our hands. And in Haggai so far, as I said, there's a repentance. There's like, yes, we do need to prioritise the building of the kingdom. There has been literally a working of their hands as they with their hands build the temple. There's been an outward work of their hands. But as we see, the circumstances aren't really changing. And these promised blessings seem to be a little bit withheld from them. And what I think God is trying to say is that there needs to be an inward work as well, an inward work of their heart, not just an outward expression with their hands. Your good deeds don't cancel out your need for God. And your outwardly good deeds don't hide what's really going on in your heart. You might be able to hide it from other people, but our outward expression with our hands, our outwardly good deeds, cannot hide from God what's really going on in our heart. So after all that talking, I just realised I haven't started reading yet. <laughs> I was going to read it at the start, but I forgot. But chapter 2, Haggai chapter 2, and I read verses 10 to 13. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet. So this is about three months, two to three months after um, Haggai's first call to build the, build the temple again. Verse 11, thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and, teach, and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Now, um, as soon as someone says the word Leviticus, <laughs> we do, might, some, some of us might do a bit of an inward shudder. It's a hard, it's a hard book to take in. And in the book of Leviticus, we, we find some really complex purity laws for the Jews that they need to hold to in order to be clean before God. And, and there's, um, it's Leviticus chapter 22, and uh, we won't go there, but there's, there's, there's things in there about um, making, um, consecrating certain types of food, consecrating certain types of meat and making it holy. It's also very clear that if someone touches a dead body, um, they become unclean. A dead body is unclean. There's certain strict rules about purity in Jewish law. And that might seem a little 
unfair, um, hard for us to take in in this world today, but we, we forget God is a holy God. And there's a high expectation, there's a high expectation of him being perfect for us to be right with him, to have right relationship with him. And to be made perfect, things need to be done. You're unclean, you think you need to be made clean to be right with him. And we've got to remember, this isn't necessarily unfair. We were made perfect ourselves. We were made holy ourselves, like him, images of him. But sin has ruined it. Sin has defiled that. And it doesn't take much to defile us. It doesn't take much to defile perfection. Um, I should have brought, um, what do you call it? Illustrations with me, but if we've got four bowls, four bowls, and one of them has um, spag bog in it, which your kid has finished. By finished, I mean they've had three or four mouthfuls, and it's still half full. And you put that one on the bottom, and you put three clean bowls on top, and you keep shuffling them around, shuffling them around. Are the three clean bowls going to make the dirty bowl clean? No. <laughs> They're going to make all of, the, all of the bowls dirty, all of the bowls unclean. Um, I thought of this yesterday at, um, at a barbecue. I had a nice clean shirt on, sitting down, um, eating sausages, and there's sauce on sausages, and Eden's not in a high chair, so she just gets up and does whatever she wants. She comes running to me onto my back with her dirty, mustardy fingers on my nice clean shirt. Her uncleanness makes me unclean. I can't make, I I might have a nice clean shirt, but I can't make her clean with my cleanness. One defilement doesn't, there's something too important. The point I'm making is defilement spreads easily. Uncleanness spreads easily. It doesn't just spread through every aspect of our life, but it's also interesting how defilement and uncleanness spreads throughout us from one person to another. But holiness doesn't make us holy. Holiness is not easy to spread, but defilement is. Clean things do not make unclean things clean. Unclean things make clean things unclean. Holiness is not contagious, but defilement is. As Jesus said, talking about the Pharisees and their their false doctrine, he said, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. A little bit of sin, a little bit of defilement can defile everything. And so chapter 2, verse 14, on the back of this little this little um, illustration, this little um, analogy that Haggai is making. He says this, Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so it is with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Nothing they can do is going to be good enough to make them unclean, to make them clean. Nothing that they do with their hands is going to be good enough while they're still unclean. Um, can I pick on Dan for a bit? You like being Dan? You, don't, you like being picked on, Dan? You like being Dan too? <laughs> um, can I stroke your ego? 
<laughs> All right. Dan's a pretty good-looking guy, isn't he? He's, <laughs> he's, he's servant-hearted. He's done well in his business. He serves the church. He's a great dad, great husband. Like, we all think Dan's great, yeah? Yeah. I mean, I could keep going, but I don't want to make Hannah uncomfortable. <laughs> but as good as you are, Dan, you're not good enough. <laughs> you're all, all of us are beautiful. All of us are precious. All of us have gifts and talents. All of us mostly are likable. It's a joke. You're all likable. We're all precious. We are all wonderful beings. We're created in the image of God. But you're not good enough. You're not enough. You're not good enough to make yourself holy, to make yourself right with God. And we can come to Christ with our good deeds, but they, they really mean nothing. Our good deeds mean nothing before him. There is nothing we can do for our own holiness, nothing that can make us right with God. That's not just for the first time we come to him, but also for the tenth or hundredth or thousandth time we come to him and we surrender ourselves to him. We can nothing to bring. This applies to our justification and our sanctification. When we want to be justified before him, there's nothing we can bring. We're not good enough. That little bit of defilement defiles everything. That leaven, little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. But also for our sanctification, our good works do not sanctify us, do not bring favour to him. In fact, God, biblically, our suffering actually sanctifies us more. So we should all just sit in that for a little bit. Just sit in that for a moment that we are hopeless without Christ. Our sin is so serious. Our sin is a curse. Before I go to, to where, you know, to the obvious place of hope, let me just keep going in the text for a little bit. Chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. God's reminding his people that through Hagar there's nothing they can do for their salvation. Defilement is contagious. But he's also reminding us that he's reminding them what a life like that is, what life is like under the curse of sin, under the curse of defilement. Chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When you came up to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When you came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you down with all the products of your toil, with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. You know, this is much like chapter 1, verses 6 to 11, which we looked at two weeks ago. And when the Bible repeats itself, we ought to pay attention. When we're living under the curse of sin, it's like that hamster wheel that I was talking about a couple of weeks ago, that hamster wheel of purposelessness, purposelessness. Where you put in the effort, you so much, but you reap little. You're, you're, you drink, but you're still thirsty. You eat, but you're still hungry. You make money, but it just goes into um, bags with holes in them. 
God's saying, remember that. Do you remember what that was like? And now you've obeyed this call of repentance. And he's saying, consider. He says, consider three times in this passage. Consider. Take careful thought. Remember and consider what life was like. Don't return to that. Don't return to that life that has no purpose. Don't give in to legalism. Legalism is lame. Don't let, don't, you know, you want to repent, you want to turn to him, and so you think maybe these outward expressions of my hands is what's going to bring favour from God, is what's going to bless me. That's me prioritising the kingdom. Don't let outward expressions rule, and legalism wins. God's after our heart. That's not a life of blessing. That's a life of just a cursed hamster wheel, of no blessing. Nothing, nothing comes of it. We reap much, but we sow, li- we sow much, but we reap little. So what do we need? Sunday school this morning. What do we need? It's so obvious. We need Jesus, don't we? And that's, not, that's something to get excited about. There's nothing, nothing to be embarrassed like, yeah, Jesus... It might sound elementary, but isn't that so beautiful that it's so simple? Because that's such a transformative truth. It's such a beautiful truth. There's nothing to be like, yeah, Jesus, Jesus. (laughs) That's what we need. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 and verses 12 and 13. Luke 5, 12 and 13. I'm going to do something. I'm not going to say it's weird because once I say it's weird, it's weird. It's not weird, okay? Um, I feel sorry for people who are kind of sitting alone. But if you can, um, touch the person next to you. Hold their hand or something. (laughs) It's only weird if you make it weird. Don't be weird about it. But just... We, we become so desensitised to touch sometimes. Not only do you, is it nice to feel the person that you're, you're touching, but they're also touching you back. A touch is powerful. A touch is powerful. We take touch for granted, especially people that we love, people that we're touching all the time. We're constantly touching our, um, our family members as we dress our kids and stuff. You can let go if you like, if you're feeling awkward. But isn't touch so powerful when we think about it, when we acknowledge that? It's intimate. Now imagine, imagine being a leper. Leprosy is a skin disease that affects, the nerve, affects our nerve endings. It affects our nerve endings and it's a scary and um, dangerous disease because when it affects your nerve endings, you can't feel pain anymore. You can't feel things. And you can hear some scary stories about how people found out that they had leprosy. Like back in the day, that they got whacked in the leg or they got whacked on their fingers and there was no pain. And that was a bit of a worry. 
because they become desensitized to pain. And then another sign, one of the first signs of leprosy, is a spot will appear somewhere on your body. And in Jewish culture, you are unclean. Leprosy is contagious. So if you have leprosy, you are isolated from the community and you will never again feel the touch of another human being. You walk through the streets. You you have to live in another leper community, but as you walk through the streets, you'll have to call out to the people ahead of you, unclean, unclean, and you'll see them part like the Red Sea. Now, for some introverts, they might be like, that sounds like the dream, but can you imagine the whole life of that? Where people literally avoid you like the plague because you have a plague? One spot grows on you, and it grows and grows until fingers fall off and noses fall off and toes fall off until whole limbs will fall off. Such a symbol of sin, isn't it? One little spot defiles everything. It's such a symbol of defilement. And we become desensitized to sin. We don't take sin seriously enough until the signs appear. And then there's nothing we can do about it. It's dehumanizing. It's isolating. No one can help us. No one can help us because no one can touch us because they're going to get sick too. Nothing can take our leprosy, our defilement away. Things are dropping off in our life. Aspects of our life fall apart. Aspects of our life suffer. Now let's read Luke 5, 12 and 13. While he, Jesus, was in one of the cities, there was a man full of leprosy. He's advanced in his leprosy. And then he saw Jesus... And he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. We shouldn't not overlook those words. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. The untouchable man, the, the, the man who everyone avoided, who could not be touched. You know, can you imagine this is in Jesus' ministry and as the leper comes to him, people have seen Jesus do some miracles and the leper comes to him and he's like, oh, this will be interesting. What's Jesus going to do here? And can you imagine the collective breath being drawn? <gasps> As Jesus says, yeah, I'll, 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 clean, I'll, I'll heal you. And he goes to reach out and touch him. How powerful that is. Jesus touches the untouchable one, the defiled one. Jesus touched him. We need the touch of Christ. Because only he can touch us and not become unclean himself. Only he can transfer his holiness to us. Holiness is not contagious, but with Jesus it is. He can give us his holiness and not become unclean himself because he's done the work of dealing with our curse. He's done the work of dealing with our uncleanness. Galatians 3.13, he became a curse for us. Galatians 
He took our curse on the cross. Let's go back to Haggai 2, in verses 8 and 19. Haggai 2, verses 18 and 19. Consider from this day, again, consider, take careful thought, from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider. Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, and the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. God's saying, consecrate yourself to me again from this day on. From this day on. Even though, as verse 19 says, is the seed still in the barn? The seed's still in the barn. And there's all these fruits that have not yielded anything. What it's saying is, you may not have even gotten, to, gotten around to getting the seed out of the shed and putting it out and sowing it to bear fruit in order to give to him and say, look at me, here I am. You haven't even taken the first step of good works. There's nothing, you, you've got nothing to give him, literally nothing. You, all you can put on the table, all you've got to bring to the table is your faith, like the leper. Lord, if you will, will you make me clean? You can, I know you will, but please. All you've got is your faith. And Jesus and God says through Haggai, you've got nothing to offer me, people of Judah. Your good works don't mean, don't mean anything. You can't win your holiness from me. You can't win my favour through your good works. But even though you've got nothing to offer, verse 19, all these things have yielded nothing. Your life has yielded nothing, maybe. Your works have yielded nothing. But... But from this day on, I will bless you. They've got nothing to offer, but he still chooses to bless them. We have nothing to offer, but God will still choose to bless us. If we will just come to him in faith and say, Lord, heal me, would you touch me with your holy touch? Lord, I want to go all in for you. I want to be all in with my whole heart and my whole being, not just with my works, I want my works to be an overflow of what's happened in here because of what you have done, because you have healed me, because you have touched me. You have touched what is defiled, what's not good enough. You've touched this precious soul and you've paid the price, you've carried my curse, and that's where I want my works to come from, because you touched me, you healed me, you cured me. And if you know Christ, which I know many of you do, you know what that touch of his hand is like, his spirit blessing you, his spirit being upon you. Let's rejoice and not take that for granted. Let's not take his touch for granted, his healing touch. And let's be consecrated to him. And if you don't know Jesus, you don't call yourself a Christian or you're not sure, you don't know where you stand, you can ask God like the leper, you can ask him to come and touch you with his hand, with his healing touch. Don't you want to be free of that curse? Don't you want to be free of that emptiness, of that defilement? I can't remember what hymn it's from, but I just remember the line, nothing in, your, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. 
Let's ask God to touch us afresh and anew, to be consecrated to him anew and afresh, not through our works but through his touch, and our works will just be an overflow of that. And the promise is, verse 19, but from this day on, when we, when we put ourselves on the altar, surrender him, to him anew, invite his, his spirit, invite his touch, From that day on, I will bless you, he says. Let me pray. Dear Lord, I praise you so much for your word. I praise you so much for your character, your grace, your love your tenderness to us coming, just oozing out of each word of, your, of, of Scripture, Lord. Help us to see that. We have nothing to offer you, Lord. Nothing in our hands that we bring, simply to your cross we cling. Lord, I pray for those that are far from you, in heart or in circumstances, whatever it is, bring them back. Comfort their hearts and challenge their hearts that they don't need to bring any works to present before you. That you want to bless them simply for their faith to trust in you. Help them to be consecrated to you, Lord. And Lord, I just pray a special blessing over those of us who, those in the room that they do trust you, they are surrendered to you but they're still really hurt. Something hurts in them. Life is painful. Life, even though they, f- they, they feel surrendered to you, they want to give everything to you and they feel that they have. Open up their hearts and their minds to anything that does need to be surrendered that they're not aware of. But Lord, if they are surrendered to you and they just still feel like life is not blessed, like life is a bit of a hamster wheel, They still feel unclean for whatever reason, Lord. Right now I ask that your Holy Spirit touch them, that the Spirit of Jesus would touch their hearts right now. If I was brave, I'd sing it, but I'm not going to sing it. But Bill Gaither's words, he touched me. He touched me, the wonder of the fact that he touched me. And oh, the joy that fills my soul. Something happened and now I know He touched me and made me whole. Thank you, Lord, for your touch. Thank you so much that you took our uncleanness, you took our curse on the cross. Let, Even though we know that truth, let that truth transform our hearts every day until it is just overflowing out of us into the streets of Lobethal. Lord, let your spirit just work in each heart how you see fit, whether that be conviction or just encouragement. Fill us with a new rejoicing and a thankfulness. I praise you for who you are. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.